When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome to the 360 Recruiting Podcast, a podcast for OU recruiting fans by Sooners360.com. Each week, we catch you up on the latest in OU recruiting news and provide opinions and evaluations on all things football recruiting. As always, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Caleb Cummings, talent evaluator and opinion creator. This is episode 48, titled... 80% of the defensive line dream is close. As always, we will begin with the latest Sooner recruiting news. And now, once again, we're going to lead off with a commitment. So it's a commitment we talked a lot about the last couple of weeks. We talked quite a bit about it last week because it was happening right before we recorded. And we're recording Friday night, so we're going to have a podcast for you guys for the the morning for this kind of week football weekend. So in, bet- uh, in between the OU, while, while OU's playing Tulsa tomorrow afternoon, you'll have a good recruiting podcast to listen to during the rather dull uh, college football games that are uh, on, on, on tomorrow. It's not a very good slate of games. So we've got a, pod, got a recruiting pod that you can focus on and spend some attention to. So, so Caleb, OU got Nigel Smith. He committed 9-8, as he said he would, at Senior Day at Melissa Stadium. Uh, they have a jumbotron, which I, I find a little funny, but I, I guess maybe more high schools have jumbo. I don't go to a lot of high school football games right now, so maybe maybe more high schools have jumbotrons than I realize. But it just is a little funny. And I had a cool little video on the on the jumbotron showing him walking around Melissa's new stadium, and then he snapped his fingers and he went from his Melissa uniform to the uh, the gray OU alternates, and he was at Owen Field walking around, and that was up on the jumbotron, and everybody cheered. So it was a really Really nice video. So obviously he's taken he, that video. Caleb was pretty was uh, was pretty good and required a little production time. So a whole lot of production. It sounds like. So he, yeah. So he, so he's gone to. He was obviously in Norman filming it. I don't know when he did that because uh, he you know he said he wasn't visiting any places. So he secretly got to Norman, filmed it. Obviously the coaches uh, and well he couldn't have done it in August because that would have been illegal. So he may have done this actually in July. So. Uh, just based upon logistics. So maybe he could have done it in early September. So uh, either way, he's known where he's going and had a plan. So all, all props to Nigel. Uh, I talked to him in spring. He stuck to his plan and did everything that he was supposed to. So we've talked a lot about this commitment the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm a big Nigel fan just from talking to him. 
He's a great kid. And um, on my five thoughts uh, article this week on Sooners360.com, a quick plug if you're not there and not not able to read that, it's because you need to subscribe. Uh, so, Caleb, I, I talked about like two plans for Nigel Smith. I talked about like the Rondo Bothroyd plan and the Jonah Lialu plan. So, that's something I kind of stole from your comments the week before. So, what what do you if you had to if you had to guess which way do you think which way do you think he's going to go? And that's either you know six foot five, two hundred ninety pound, super athletic defensive tackle, or six foot five, two hundred seventy pound, super athletic, big, powerful defensive end. So, if you if you if I forced you to to choose which path, which which path would you choose? Yeah, I, I would definitely choose, and this is just, you know, uh, maybe it's a personal preference in that regard for what his skill set is. I would definitely choose him growing into a six foot five, 290 pound ultra athletic interior defender. I you know, I, you know, again, I think speed and athleticism is at a premium, and that his, his athletic traits, you know, go up one to two degrees, you know, one to two notches when you kick him inside and you play him over a guard, right? Or if if you're just playing him in, in more maybe more of a head up in, even in some of I think what you could play him in and what you see in some of kind of what looks like a three down. Uh, it's just everything's gone to this hybrid defenses these days, right? But you know, you play him in that four uh four eye or a three technique. I, I just think with the frame, his frame potential. If you've seen pictures of his dad, I think his dad played basketball at TCU, and his dad is six seven, six eight. Or, I mean, his dad looked like he could lace him up and and, and go play. His, his dad's an impressive looking guy, and, and so you know, you take someone that as a senior in high school is is already six five, six four, six five. He's two hundred sixty five, two hundred seventy pounds. I think with just you know. Just spending time with nutrition and just spending time in the weight room. He's a guy that just naturally becomes a six foot four, 290 pound kid that really should, by and large, move like he's still 270 pounds. I think that's where he can be special, is in that, is in that type of mold. Uh, you know, and again, what, what Brent in that scheme, what they want to do is it's not a, you know, we remember like with Mike Stoops, a lot of it was that two gap. It was that, it was a lot of stuff he got from Polini where, it worked great when they had Jared Crick and and, Nagama, and and Sue at defensive tackle, and they could catch everybody and read and react and two gap it. But Brent's the opposite. Brent is, you know, and 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 Todd Bates. It is athletic penetration upfield, disruptive, and, and I think he fits into that mold really well as a as a as a defensive tackle that can, in some of those odd fronts, give you give you some looks as a as a quote unquote an end. So actually, his, uh, I just looked it up. His dad played at SMU, so you were very, SMU. very close. But his dad was 6'10", 275, uh, playing center for SMU. So if, if Nigel, if he, if he shows up in Norman 6'7", 270 you know, plus, that wouldn't be a shock at all. Not at all. And I'll be honest with you, if he showed up at 6'7", uh, 270 pounds, and I've thought – when he was a little bit younger, uh, you know, and I say a little bit younger, he's just been he's been a he's been a guy that's what he's been on the recruiting scene 
for for a while, right? I mean, it's been you know everybody's kind of known of him for for a little bit, right? It, it's not new. So early on, and, and he's a sophomore in high school, and he was in that six four six five range. I remember thinking, okay, might he grow into uh, you know someone that is closer to six 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 seven? And you start looking at that, like just from a body type perspective. And my immediate thought went to you know someone like a like a DeForest Buckner, you know, uh some of those defensive linemen, defensive ends that, that Oregon had uh when when Chip Kelly was there, you know, uh guys that a lot of people would look at, you know, Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, and he'd say, Oh, play him at tackle because they're six seven and they're two eighty offensive tackle. But like, no, I mean, he's six seven, two, two ninety, three hundred pounds and can move. Like, yeah, you could play offensive tackle, but you can also be a Pro Bowl defensive lineman. And so, yeah, I mean, that would be fingers crossed that he becomes that because those those two guys, uh, I think as you see, and we talked about this in one of our earlier episodes, right? When the all-pro lists came out, it was interesting that in the NFL, when you look at what recru- what guys were that were making the Pro Bowl and the all-pro team as recruits, average offensive ranking for those kids coming out of high school is like a three-star. There were more two-stars. I don't think there were there was maybe one five-star kid. It was maybe like a receiver, uh, the receiver for the Bengals that played at LSU. And I'm losing his, his name here. Uh, but Jamar you know, Chase. Jamar, Jamar Chase. Chase. But across the defense, it was all super highly, you know, yeah, highly recruited guys. And it goes back to what we talked about with that. It was a really good interview with Manny Diaz. And I know a lot of people don't like him, but where he talked about, you know, hey, look, positions like defensive line or defensive end or corner, that's just a trait position. That's are are you twitchy enough? Are you long enough? Can you get the corner? Can you bend? Can you do that physically? So yeah, I, I think, you know, he's Nigel's he's in a he's got some really high end potential and i'm really interested to see if he does grow into like something like his dad and end up 6'6 290 pounds and lean and athletic because i think he could really wreak havoc yeah it's a it's a great addition i'm happy that he's gotten a little bit of you know the all the sooner sites have focused on him because it was a little bit you know everyone's kind of you know for all the weirdness of july and august with d-line everyone's like well we got it we got nigel smith in the in the fold i'm like well, he's not chopped liver, guys. This isn't like some two-star guy from, you know, plays eight-man football who's a total project and projection. He's, you know, he's at Melissa. He's playing good high school football. Everybody in the country wanted him. OU beat Texas, Texas A&M for him. They badly wanted him, both of those schools. So, and he's the number two or three defensive lineman in the state of Texas with only Joseph Jonoyanje. And there's a guy, um, there's a guy A&M has, I, I haven't really followed him that much, but he's, his rankings have gone up quite a bit, actually. Um, and uh, I, I just can't pull the name right now because OU's never been involved with it. No, so. it's, you, you raised maybe the best point, Chris, and it is when you look at Nigel's offer list, you know, it's Oklahoma, it's Alabama, it's Florida, Florida State, Georgia, LSU, it's Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State. Right, Penn State, Texas, Texas A and M. Like that's who his his list was. And Oklahoma just won, and they and to, and to win that race, they beat out his officials were Texas, Texas A and M, Penn State, Ohio State, uh, and Oklahoma. Right, that's who. And he's again a top one hundred defensive lineman, and somehow he's 
We're, he 80, 82nd ranked player in the country. He's got it going. Somewhat forgotten, it feels like. And maybe some of it's timing. You know, committing once the season has started probably takes, I think, a lot of the, the shine off of it because everybody's focused on, you know, that Saturday game. But uh, it's huge, huge win. Yeah. And, and, you, and, you know, it's also OU has, OU's taken so many bad beats to um, Larry Johnson at Ohio State, right? So when you see, when you see Ohio, that we beat Ohio State for him, that's the second defensive lineman that we beat Ohio State for in this, in this cycle. Jaden Jackson was also a big Ohio State target. So I think if you're wondering about Miguel Chavis and, and, and uh, Todd Bates a little bit, just know that they, we haven't put any losses on Larry Johnson for like four recruiting cycles um, up to this point. He's just beaten us every time. It's like, oh, Ohio State wants him. Larry Johnson's going to beat us. Larry Johnson Sr. Um, they're going to beat us. So that's two That's two wins over Larry Johnson, which I think is more than we've had in the five classes uh, prior. Uh, just, I mean, they just – Ohio State's just been a, a nemesis for OU in terms of D-line recruiting. Uh, well, for everybody really in the country, if you're not, if you're not Georgia really. So, Caleb, um, let's just do a quick little D-line update here. So that gives OU Wyatt Gilmore, Jaden Jackson, David Stone, Nigel Smith, and now we're waiting on Danny Okoye. So Danny Okoye, we're we're recording this Friday. Wednesday is his commitment event. We're trying to organize some coverage for that. Uh, Barry Wise is in the is going to try and try and do something for us in the Tulsa area. So shout out to Barry. If you're not following him on Twitter and his new gym, please do do that. Uh, So so Caleb. Daniel's canceled. He's not going to make a Tennessee official visit. And his Texas unofficial this weekend appears to be off. And UT appears to be pretty heavily focused on Florida edge rusher Solomon Williams instead. They seem to be waving the white flag. And all of their admins for all of their sites who are usually just so homerific, it's not even funny, have all pretty much put in uh, um, projections for OU. So that looks like Danny Okoye. We're, you know, we're projecting, we predicted on our website a couple of days ago that Danny Okoye is going to choose OU. So just for the, just for the sake of this, uh, this discussion, Caleb, add Danny Okoye to the four guys I described. And we strongly believe all five of those guys are going to enroll early as well. So what grade would you give the D-line group based upon just those five players? Probably. Give me a quantity grade and a quality grade. Hmm. Just an, I'll give you an overall grade of. <laughs> okay. All right. This is fine. this is maybe like a bit of a homer when I say this. Uh, hmm. So okay. I'll say this. Those five, I'd give it an A minus, which okay. is pretty pretty ridiculous. Uh, I can I can attest to that already because of what I've been really open on how talented I think uh, Danny Okoye is and we know how, how good David Stone is. Uh, and I really like Wyatt Gilmore, uh, you know, and then we've already talked about Nigel. And then I think Jaden Jackson is, he's the nose guard that all of Brent's good teams have. Uh, you know, all of, all the teams at Oklahoma he had, whether it was Dusty or Lynn Magruder or, you know, uh, Marcus Granger. And then, you know, on the Adrian Taylor, he always had guys that were, you know, 
just war daddies, so to speak, in there. Um, only reason I would give it an A minus is I still want a little bit of juice from pure pass rush ability, you know. And I think Wyatt Gilmore is is a, is a strong side defensive end. Now I will say, like again, I like him a little bit more than Barry because I think he's got a I think he's got a really good high football IQ. And a lot of times, you know, I think we get really too caught up in again we. We love to talk about the physical traits and, you know, the twitch and the length and, and this, but you've also got to, you know, be able to recognize run pass, right? And understand it's not every play you line up. Hey, it's it's not, let's put it this way. It's not a one-on-one camp setting. That's why those one-on-one camp setting offensive linemen and defensive linemen are complete bullcrap. Defensive lineman knows it's a pass and there ain't nobody chipping. You know what I mean? Like you try doing what like most of those defensive ends do in those camps. And like we're breaking press plates with the, with the, with the, you know, with a running back or a tight end, like putting those dudes in the hospital, the way they come flying up chest out slapping like that, you know? So, but I would say I would probably give it an A plus because, and this is, you know, like a, a throw you for a little bit of a loop here, just continuing to look at James Nesta his height and his length. I just don't know if he doesn't grow into like a weak side defensive end. I'm just not sure he isn't, you know, right now he's six, five, two Oh five, two ten, And he spends all his time playing baseball. Right. Uh, and it really, and, and you, you alerted me to this, right. He's enrolling early. And so he's going to be really focused in on football. And, uh, you know, what he might be even coming out of just the summer after that first eight months in Norman, you know, he might be 235, 240 pounds and and six foot five. You might be looking at a future defensive end. So, and you watch him on film, that's where he absolutely excels. He is off the edge. He's, he's really quick, long as the day, day is, you know, so, uh, yeah, I, I, if you if you told me he's going to spin down, I, I'd give it an A plus. But right now, it's it's in that A range, you know, because even though I say I want more juice, I do think you have an elite interior pass rusher in David Stone, and you have someone with that type of potential, the potential to be elite as an edge rusher in college in uh, Danny uh, Koye, if he ends up a sooner. Yeah, and I I do I do think we are on pretty safe ground because you and I were talking. I went back and looked. In March, we were talking about how ridiculously underranked Koye was and how you and I both like, ah, we'd love for him to be a Sooner. Man, we love that guy. We think he's like a five-star guy. We're like, yeah, too bad OU has no shot. I know. And so, you know, to be, you know, because now, you know, because all of a sudden, you know, you could, we could be kind of, you know, the homers like, well, you're just re-ranking him because he's now choosing OU. I'm like, well, actually, we're not. If you go back in March – um, we were, we were, you know, you were, you know, I was, I was giving you major grief about your man love for Danny Okoye back in March. And we were like, man, just, uh, I just wish he that some way he could be a sooner. And we're just basically like, you know, sighing, you know, audibly sighing while we're talking about him. So I think that's a good grade. I mean, I, I, David Stone to me is putting on a show right now at IMG where he, I think he could arguably be, be the number two player in the nation behind Jeremiah Smith. Yeah, I, I I will say he is the level of dominance he's showing right now. I think uh, I don't know how it's going under the radar, but it really feels like it is. You know, and I and maybe it's because IMG has pumped out so many five star defensive players. 
you know, but we've watched a lot of these guys come out and when you would watch their tape and, you know, we saw, I mean, they had, you know, was it the, 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 was it Jared or Jaden Wayne and then yeah. Pimba last year. And I saw a lot of their tape because I was watching, uh, Phil Pachotti, right. And <laughs> the last year as a junior on that team with all those five stars, David was the best player. And then you watch it this year. He's so much better than everybody else. It just looks, and it's it's wild because we've talked about this. He's playing against. It's not. He's not playing against. You know, no shot at like you know Elk City or Guyman or Woodward, Oklahoma, right? Like he's not playing against Western Oklahoma high school football. You know, if he was there in Dell City, right? He is. He the guys he's dominating are. It's your St. Francis Academies. It's your programs that are. You look around and you know a dozen division one football players with more than a half dozen power five guys. And, and you know, to, he's dominating at a level that's, that's, uh, I really can't think of the last guy that we, I mean, Ronell Lewis doing it to eight man. And, 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 and in middle school, all the way and back in middle, in middle school. school, um, on a, on that, on that infamous camcorder for you. But yeah, I think when you take stone and then you take a Koye who the coaches, and we've been consistent with this, the coaches have have think Okoye is a five star talent. They think he's every bit as good as Williams uh, Noary, and we've been consistent in that message for at least a couple of months. Uh, we've been saying that, saying that on our message board, talking about that. So that's not just it's not isn't just all of a sudden now it looks like he's choosing OU and we've decided to just bump him up 150 spots. That's we've been consistent in that message on this pod for at least two months. And then I just think Jaden Jackson is a top 150 kid. Uh, I think Nigel is a top 100 kid. And, you know, and then we have Wyatt Gilmore, who uh, has a Twitter highlight uh, from last night where he's playing tight end and he looks actually he has good tight end film. And he's just physically just throwing a kid um, out of the way, blocking for a touchdown. So um, I think Wyatt would be. it might be interesting if Wyatt gets on campus and all of a sudden Joe John Finley's like, uh, do you need him? Because I, I, he blocks out. He, he kills people. Could, could, could I borrow him? And I, you know, and I would say, Miguel Chavis, he's like, no, no, you can't. But the next thing is is very interesting because, you know, if he's 6'6", 240 with that burst and that burst off the line he has and he plays a lot of edge rushing linebacker, you know, you go with a three three five kind of look. And you have Nesta maybe as that third third linebacker, sort of a, uh, the classic Sam maybe. And you've got the Cheetah, you've got Cheetah and then four DBs, and then you've got Mike and Will, the classic Mike and Will. Uh, I think we may see that a little bit more from OU this year. Um, I was very interested to see, the, when in terms of Nigel especially, uh, Caleb, I was interested to see OU in some more three-man looks against SMU um, on, on Saturday. So uh, I think that's an interesting, that's an interesting grade, and we'll. I don't see anybody else getting offered right now. Um, well, there is the one guy that we we really do, and I, I mean, I just completely forget that he exists, and I don't even know if he's listed on any of Oklahoma's, uh, you know, recruiting lists, and, and it is the. Uh, and help me here, is it is it Dodge City? Garden City. He's at Garden City, yeah. Garden think, City Community yeah, College. Danny, Danny, Danny Sayei. Yes, you know, the junior college defensive tackle. You know, kid that was 
I think last we heard what it was like around 340. He dropped down and played his freshman year in junior college at I think listed at 370, 380 pounds. And he's last at, we'd heard he's at Hutchinson. Sorry to correct that. Hutch. He's, he's at That's Hutch. Right, Hutch. Which even better because like Hutch is a Hutch is a, is a powerhouse. They've they've won a couple of the last uh recent national titles. So uh you know, I think we kind of forget about him. Uh, you add him and, and, and yeah, you know, and you touched on it right there. What you're starting to, you're getting a very complete, I think a very complete defensive line. You're not getting, you know, a bunch of guys that are stuck into like, oh, this, this is, you know, the mold and this is what he is. And, you know, we're like, they're not signing, you know, three strong side defensive ends and three nose guards and not signing any three techniques and nobody that can rush the passer. It is really, uh, a very very well rounded class, uh, you know, and yeah, I think Wyatt Gilmore is is the guy that continually goes uh, just really overlooked. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah. look, I'll put it this way: like I like him significantly more as a recruit than uh, than Ethan Downs, and Ethan Downs will, will leave Oklahoma as a as a three year starter, probably two or three year captain, and you know. Uh, and probably rank fairly high in on the school's list in history in terms of tackles for loss as a sooner, you know, and and I think you know that that Wyatt at least in high school is significantly you know better football player. And they've and they found them. They seem to have found. We'll talk a little bit about defensive improvement and recruiting a little bit later, but they seem to have found a nice new. They seem to have found a spot for Downs. Right, he seems to be playing better than last year. Just physically, they seem to have gotten the right body, right body shape mix for him. Right, that he's not. He I think, be, yeah, absolutely. I think, I, and, and I and I also think that there's he's really, you know, and I've talked about this a bunch, right? Like, you know, he played, he did play Western Oklahoma small school football. You know, there in Weatherford, I think it's four A. Uh, so, and he wasn't a kid. He didn't go to IMG. Probably could have, you know, like, but he he like David, but he didn't. So he didn't get that coaching. And then his first year in Norman, he's playing in a system that was not teaching fundamentals. It wasn't teaching like, come off the ball, your feet here. We're going to place hands here. We've got our, our eyes inside. We're going to read you know, what the tackles. It wasn't, they were not reading blocks. It was no block wreck. It wasn't like traditional football in that sense. It was, I'm going to slant you here. You run upfield, create havoc, find the ball, go chase it. And uh, it is very. That's why you know you do not see Grinch defenders being drafted. You know there was a kid at Washington State that like led the country in tackles for loss and sacks and forced fumbles, and he may have been drafted like in the sixth round or something. It was just when the NFL scouts look at it, like I have no idea how to evaluate this. Uh, you know, and so I, you knew Ethan was going to have this just long runway of like, hey, having to be taught. And I think you're starting to see that. I think you're starting to see like everything kind of come together. A bit more. He's developing some like some push pull pass rush moves. Uh, you know, hopefully he'll continue to, you know, understand the importance of don't go down the middle of them, but you know, you're a strong guy, get some leverage, get half a man, you know, uh, and, and beat him that way. But, you know, uh, yeah, he, he's, he's going to end up a good player. So right now, uh, Caleb, we're waiting on three names for um, commitment dates. So we kind of been in the, I'm, this is sort of a rinse repeat uh, part of the podcast. So we're still waiting on Grant Bricks, Devin Jordan, and Mike and Michael Boganowski to make um, make their decisions. And 
Right now, we are not seeing any backup offers at safety or cornerback based upon Jordan or Boganowski's um, decision. Right now, there's no new offers going out. And we're not really seeing a lot of new offers in general um, going out right now. So it's OU almost seems to be moving towards 24, uh, putting 24 to bed and moving on to 25 and, and even 26. Uh, so in terms of official visitors, we only have one official visitor um, scheduled for the rest of the fall right now, which is kind of shocking, but most of the uh, verbals have already taken their official visit. The only guy I've got any kind of question about is Davin Mitchell, and that's only because of his reclassification uh, process occurred in the middle of the summer. So the party at the palace could have been his official visit. I'm not sure about it. So the only guy is IMG offensive tackle Jordan Seaton, uh, the rivals five-star top 30 player in the nation. Uh, he just visited Bama. Bama seems like probably his leader in the clubhouse right now. He's going out to uh, Boulder this weekend, along with a bunch of other recruits for the for the for the festival hype fest that is uh, Coach Prime in Colorado right now. So he's going to be out in Colorado, but he should be in Norman in two weeks. He's canceled some visits; he's moving some stuff around. But the OU visit, I think, will go off on nine thirty, and I think OU's probably hoping that they can get David Stone and Jaden Jackson. Uh, to come in for an unofficial, uh, to, to buddy along with Jordan Seaton. But in terms of news, that's, that's the big news. Nigel's committing. Nigel committed. Danny's about to commit somewhere. And uh, we're still waiting on other names. And uh, Jordan Seaton is, is, is our only official visitor. So we're going to go ahead and move into just a quick recap of the... Well, here's Chris, like, real yeah, quick sorry, sorry. you yeah, Go ahead, go ahead. I'm curious your thoughts on Seton. Do you think, just given what... So, I think you look at the kid online, you know, and you try to find, hey, maybe or who are some of his leaders. Two schools that have been mentioned in that group pretty consistently have been Alabama and Florida. Do you put any, you know, Alabama struggling, Florida... Really struggling, uh, and may you know likely really really struggle through the year. You think that improves Oklahoma's chances there, or, or what do you think about his recruitment? Just in in that regards, so do you think it's going to come down to some other factors? Well, it's it's an interesting chase because he he dumped LSU, so he's not going to visit LSU. So I think that kind of puts them out. Um, Alabama obviously is a big time favorite. Um, always for an offensive lineman. We, we, oh, you took their dings in that Casey Poe battle. Um, it would be ironic if that somehow opened back up, but I don't see it. I don't see that occurring. Um, yeah, I, you know, I mean, Florida's class is just loaded and they're still going after people. And I'm having a hard time seeing them winning more than three games. Uh, that's gonna, and that's gonna depend upon some sort of, co-mingling of uh, whatever happens between them and Vandy and what happens with them in Missouri. Yeah. Third game against Tennessee this weekend, I think will be really interesting for just. If they're going to have a chance this season, they need to show something this week. Yeah. That that's the type of game where their offenses look so bad. I'm not, I don't, don't know. uh, Don't know their, any of their coaches really, but that if you're a Florida fan where I think that's got to worry you is, that type of offense that Tennessee runs and how they like to go fast, what they like to do, that's a rivalry game. If they blow Florida's doors off, 
and Florida just crumbles and loses, you know, like one of those old OU versus Texas scores, 63 to 14, you know, what, what happens to, to Florida? I'm, I'd be curious, you know, maybe we may find out. Yeah. Cause you know, Tennessee will keep throwing, right? Hypel, you know, that's, that's a, that's a big rivalry. If you can put yeah. a big number up on your, in, in Gainesville, if you can run, you know, run the doors off, blow the doors off your rival, just like Bob, just like Bob with Texas, right? You're, you're going to do it, right? You're not going to call off the dogs uh, at all. You, you're going to put up a number and, and Tennessee's got lots of athletes and basically well, I mean, uh, the, un- the unathletic, this. the unathletic Florida team we saw out at Utah oh, yeah. versus the speed that we know Tennessee has. It, it, that seems like a bad matchup for me. I don't know how I forgot how watching that team, I was just thinking like, you know, Oh, they lost and it was a bad loss against really a lot of second teamers for Utah. But yeah, now that you think about it, now that you mentioned that I forgot just how bad they looked. Uh, the other thing, and you'll appreciate this. I think if you're a Tennessee fan and I love Spurrier, so like Steve Spurrier is one of my favorite coaches, you know, kid in the nineties, you know, you kind of Florida, Florida state, Miami, Florida state, these were big games and Spurrier. He is like, he is just, He's a genuine person, so you have to love like his quick wit and just a down home like son of a preacher going to tell how how he sees it. And you remember this? He used to go in there against Tennessee, and he would beat their heads in. And it, I, there was a famous one; they were up by forty points late in the fourth quarter, just throwing bombs. And like he famously said, "Hey, I never going to tell a kid to not try to score. You know, it ain't my job to stop my offense." And, and so, if you're a Tennessee fan, you've got to look at that and be like, "Hey, I know it's been twenty five years, but..." Let's get him back. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, he used to say, you know, you can't spell. It was the old citrus ball, right? So you can't spell, <laughs> you can't spell citrus without 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 um, TU oh, uh, Tennessee U- Tennessee University. So I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a rivalry where they they where and Florida has been, you know, Tennessee's been down, right? So if you're if you're Tennessee, you've got lots of receipts, right? Lots of you got a lot of payback coming yeah. teams, right? You've yeah. been, you've been, I mean, Florida and Alabama and Georgia have been kicking you around for those about urban five. teams. Those urban Meyer teams used to just beat their beat, yeah, yeah Phil yeah. Farmer's head in. And they had a basic, they, they retired Phil basically. Um, yeah, urban retired Phil basically. That's what happened. So yeah, so that could be so. Yeah, if Seton is, you know, he's at IMG too. So that's a, that's a factor there. OU's recruiting a couple of IMG. Offensive linemen and players for the next couple of classes. So, yeah, I think if everybody else continues to stumble, that it could open up a door for OU. And if he has a great visit, he knows Anton Harrison because he's from that part of the country. Anton's starting for the Jags, right? I I think I saw that on Saturday, on Sunday, sorry. He's starting with the Jags. He is. And I wonder Um, if, I don't know, put anything in it, but I I don't know, you know. Anton, he he wore seventy one because he's a Trent Williams guy, huge fan, and uh, Seton from the same. He's from DC, you know. He wears seventy one. I do want I, those type of things. You always wonder, like, is it is it the same thing? You know, again, Trent Williams, he and Joe Thomas are the best two tackles in the last probably twenty years, twenty five years in the NFL. Uh, you know, and you think it's gotta. It has. It helped Oklahoma with Anton. Maybe it'll help with with Jordan. And, and you know, uh, now that you've got so many guys on that staff that are close to to Trent, 
right? You've got Phil who played with him. Heck, you got Jeff. You got, I mean, damn near that whole offensive staff played with, uh, you know, with Trent or was there in some capacity. You know, you wonder if stuff like that would can lean Oklahoma's favor. Well, you know, let's just let's let's play let's play fantasy recruiting here, right? That's a little bit of what we do. So let's say Jordan Seaton does visit nine thirty. Florida's struggling. Bama continues to struggle because Bama's got a couple of games where they don't get their act together. They, I mean, Ole Miss could beat them most definitely if they don't get oh, their yeah. act together. Let's just say Bama's continue to struggle, and he, he goes to Norman nine thirty. It's the Iowa State game. Offensive line has a great day. David Stone visits with him. He sees how David is basically, you know, signing autographs everywhere, is like the big man on campus, and, you know, is treated like the rock star that, you know, the rock star recruit that he is. Let's just be honest. He's, you know, he's, 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 the, he's the Gerald, he's the next Gerald McCoy. I mean, or he's the first David Stone. So Seton sees all that. He sees how, he sees the football passion. And he sees that, you know, this is a big time program. And then OU, you know, is able to roll out an NIL package that, you know, is, you know, is competitive. And all of a sudden, Seton's like, well, Bill creates NFL first rounders. I think I'm an NFL first rounder. You know, David, David loves this place. This place is big time football. They're joining the SEC. How, how is this different than Bama, right? How, what's really different than this than Alabama, right? There's no real difference. Uh, other than the five national championships the last twenty years, but just <laughs> but just but just from like a program status, like look and feel kind of um, standpoint, you know what I mean? From that from that element. So yeah, I think it, it's an interesting story. It could he could visit, and all of a sudden, you know, we could be coming back and saying, yeah, yeah it's a good visit. We're not good. he's not signing with OU, or we could come out at nine thirty and say, yeah, things just got real interesting because he's a guy you take regardless. I mean. He even if they get a even if they get Grant Bricks and Eddie Pierre Louis and Akin Kumi, you're taking Jordan Seaton. You, you take that guy uh, because he's a first year. Um, he's 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 someone who you could put in your two deep uh, at offensive tackle uh, if he enrolls early, kind of year one kind of guy. Um, and that allows you to to bring Autry and some of the other guys along, and maybe a little slower. So and it makes up for undersigning. Um, Last year, not getting five guys and not getting another f- offensive tackle uh, in twenty in the twenty three class. So, yeah, it's an interesting story to track. But it, again, he could he could visit OU and it doesn't really register too much of a too much of a blip. But other programs, as we'll talk about a little later, are some other big time programs are are having some stumbles. And Alabama certainly had a big stumble uh, last Saturday night. So, yeah, it's it's it could be interesting. So. Last weekend, it was a smaller group of visitors, especially official visitor. The only official visitor was Josh Iasosa, and that's because you couldn't officially visit in uh, July because they weren't, weren't allowing official visits in July, dead period. And then the last, the, the week that was open, they weren't allowing official visits. But just some unofficial visitor names for everybody. I mentioned Christian Thatcher last week. Uh, he did an interview with uh, KREF um, Game Day and was talking about how much he loved OU and wanted to wanted to commit right now, but his parents are asking him to wait. And uh, his brother, Thaddeus, is looking like he might be the top QB in 2027. Now, I know, Caleb, I just jumped 26 and went to 27 on you. Yeah, I don't even want to hear about it. I'm talking about a high school freshman. (laughs) We'll move on from that, but he's 6'2", 200 pounds already, and his highlight footage looked really good. So 
Who knows? It doesn't hurt. But but Christian's a really good-looking linebacker. Uh, And then Lamont Rogers from Mesquite was on campus. He's a top 50 offensive tackle, 6'7", 300 pounds, athletic, a good frame. And then OU offered his two teammates, one guy called Legend Bay, who is their quarterback, but OU wants a wide receiver. And then a safety for them named uh, Markel Ford. And both of those guys are 26 players, but got OU offers. So OU's continuing to offer 25 kids and 26 kids. They just, on the defensive line side of things, they just offered Zion Williams from Lufkin, a big defensive tackle from Lufkin. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, Jamarcus McFarland is no longer on staff. I think he's TCU's. I think he's with TCU. So that's uh, that. That might hurt OU a little bit there, but OU does have a track record with Lufkin defensive tackles, thanks to McFarland. There, he's a big kid, six five, three hundred, athletic. He's a looks a little like he's still growing into his body, a little mechanical. But um, his junior film would be one of those films I flag for you to to look at a little bit later, Caleb, to to see what you think. So that's the that's the visitor information. So Caleb. It's a smaller crew for SMU, but I think the SMU game has kind of a bigger recruiting story we should talk about, and that's the defensive improvement. I was very surprised that OU held SMU to 11 points, and especially how the 11 were scored. Uh, that Their touchdown drive obviously being a little bit aided by some con- by at least one controversial PI call. Um, yeah, I so, thought it was poor. It was a bad call. So... Let's talk a little. I'd like for you to talk a little bit about both the the recruiting impact of looking better defensively, and also the kind of the impact of recruits. So, if you could talk about what you think the recruiting impact could be first, if oh, you can keep up this uh, this defensive momentum. Oh God! I mean, if they could keep up this defensive momentum, uh, I think it would be twofold, right? I think. Uh, a lot of this class is going to be wrapped up, but there's going to be movement, right? There's going to be whether that's, you know, and I don't really care uh, if Jimbo gets fired or not, but there's a lot of unrest there. We've already talked a little bit about Florida. There's going to be some other ones where, you know, some movement happens. And so some really good players will pop up on the market, uh, whether that's transfer portal kids that were previously five star guys that took big NIL deals to Aggieland, which that could be a, unraveling of people looking at the entire system and seeing like, well, it's a bad investment. But uh, to keep this up, I, I think it it could be a massive springboard for this class, next class, and the portal. You know, uh, and I think it's something you as an Oklahoma fan, you know, I, because time moves really quickly. I think you desperately want that to happen, not just for the product on the field, but because, again, further you get away from, you know, those defenses that Brent had at Clemson that were absolutely just dominant. You're talking about, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, right? Well, now we're getting to kids that are going to be graduating high school in 2025, 2026. They didn't really see that. Now, kids that are in college know, hey, Brent Vittles is a great defensive line, but again, you've got to continue to, you know, continue to pay rent on that. So I think it could be really what we've talked a little bit about. I think some of 
whether it's been real or not. A lot of people point to NIL and the other thing people point to with Oklahoma, maybe not winning some of the elite guys, you know, like a defensive end, like Williams, Noary, maybe is a really good example. If Oklahoma comes out last year and wins those, you know, wins three of those five or six games that they lost, I guess five games that they lost by, you know, uh, a single possession, right. And ends up nine and three, nine and four, right. And had that defense holds up in the fourth quarter. He might be a sooner. Like he may have pulled the trigger way before Missouri ever came in with a massive NIL deal. I mean, maybe not, right? But I think you start getting into that point where these top players in the country, you can really go to them and say, hey, look, we were talking about how we were going to do what we did at Clemson, and we were trying to convince you to play the long game and not take $300,000 on an NIL deal, but rather play here for three years and take a fully guaranteed $35 million deal as a top 10 pick. Look, now here's the proof. Like it's us. It was me. I was the defensive mastermind at Clemson and everybody knows that he was right. But it was, you know, so follow this. I I think it, you know, it it could be that Uh, because the other part of that, you know, and we've talked about this on the pod a lot. If this holds up, if the defense just continues to play at such a high level, they keep them in every game. I mean, Texas looks fantastic. There, a lot of their really good players uh, are playing really good. You know, uh, their skill guys, rather, right? Like uh, the tight end, uh, the receivers, even the five star back they have as a true freshman. He looked good uh, in spots, right? He looked, he just ran hard, ran with good lean. He was explosive. You could see the talent, even though he didn't have a lot of room to run. But aside from that, you can win every other game. And even that game's always a toss up. You can still win that game, right? Uh, that, again, where I was going there is we talk so much about, and you see it with ESPN. And all of the talking heads in Colorado, they want, they want clicks, they want revenue, they want those things that drive it. Dion drives it, and the University of Oklahoma football drives that big time, you know. Uh, and so Oklahoma being elite on defensively under Brent Venables, it, it will get every talking head talking about it. The SEC pushing it, you'll get Oklahoma looking as a potential playoff team. And it just quickly switches that narrative of can Brent do it to, okay, he's done it. Right. It's, it's a, it'd be a bit of a game changer. I think you're not selling uh, hopes and dreams. Now you're, you're selling, you know, something that's been proved out now at three different, you know, effectively two, but three different, you know, uh, stops, so to speak over 25 years. Yeah, I think it would be it would be the portal is also I think um, as you mentioned could be important because so you could be looking for maybe a safety, maybe a defensive tackle, maybe a defensive end, depending on how things shake out. And if this defense keeps this up, or at least keeps so even like the top thirty of the of you know defensive rankings, then all of a sudden if if you've got a year or two years to play, now you're looking at OU very differently, right? It's like that's that's somewhere where I can. Okay, those guys know what they're doing. They're creating. They they take talent and create talent. You know, it's it's like why Walter Rouse chose OU a little bit, right? Because he knew Bill Bill could push him and work on the things he needed to work on to be a to be a legit NFL lineman. So, I think that's important. So, Caleb, just a little bit um, from the two games. To me, uh, I think you're just seeing the impact of recruiting as well. I mean. Uh, PJ and Bate and Peyton Bowen are kind of just two obvious ones, but 
we've obviously seen Makari Vickers and Jacoby Johnson out there. Uh, Sam Osego and Lewis Carter are also getting rotations out there. Uh, it just looks, and then you've got the 22 class that looks like it's being developed as well with Gentry Williams and uh, Robert Spears Jennings played against Smoo. And you've got the linebacker group with both Kip Lewis and, and Kobe McKenzie and, and Canick just also out there. So to me, it looks like the 22 and 23 classes are, are, are very early finding their legs on the field. Yeah. I mean, I, I meant to, I put this on the board and, in kind of my my uh, SMU wrap up, one of the things that stuck out to me about you know the the game against SMU was it was Peyton Bowen, and I, like I put in there, you know, I somewhat I really do I think we're starting to see a bit of a star emerge in the play, and I didn't know it at the time, right? Because who did that was a pump block. They listened to him after the game in the interview, and he says, "Oh, we didn't have pump block on." I just, you know, when I accelerated, took off, saw, hey, I can block this. I'm going to go do that. And it just, I just, you just go back to all those great players under, under Brent, you know, dating back all the way to, you know, 99. And that's the type of stuff they did. You know, whether it was Roy, you know, them telling him, hey, don't leave your feet if that bat goes to cut you. And him just knowing I'm going to make the play. And he does. Or the interception that that Rocky had that really broke open that Texas game in 2000. Right. He doesn't have he doesn't have that. Def- he doesn't have that 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 slant route. He feels it and knows and breaks off his receiver and intercepts Sims and runs it back. You know, and I think, you know, I thought. That Sammy on that late ball, uh, Sammy, I'm sorry, that Peyton on that late ball that he broke onto the flat. I thought oh, that's going to be six. And if you know, thank God that the ball was just high <laughs> for uh, Stone. Stone just threw a bit of a duck there because if that ball's on target, Peyton takes it back for six. Uh, he's just starting to, you know, we talked a little bit about this, right? Like real legit five star type guys on the back end. Like not only do you have the ability, but you know, again, safety and, and linebacker are those positions where you got to be able to process. You got to be able to have a feel for the game and instincts. And he's got you know unbelievable acceleration and quickness and top end speed. Uh, but he's also got just this massive amount of instinct as well. And, and you're you're right. You're starting to see. I think we're starting to see. What I took away, the other part I took away from the SMU game was, you know, and it's something Reggie said on his podcast this week, and the the SMU offense coordinator talked about it yeah, this past week when he said, you know, he's like, we threw everything at Oklahoma. He said, we had a bunch of trick plays and different things dialed up. And he goes, credit to them. He goes, they sniffed them out, every single one of them. He said, we haven't had anybody do that. But he goes, they were just on top of it all game. That's not something that we've seen from an Oklahoma defense. And Chris, I do not know when, right? And again, SMU is a talented team. Oklahoma held them to the fewest points they've scored in eight years. Uh, and, to, and to your point, right, half those points were two big 15-yard penalties that moved them down the field, right? And they got 50% of their yards on, on two penalties. So for them to just lock in like that, I think we're starting to see just, you know, what Brent preaches and coaches, right? It's we're starting to see the fundamental coaching take over 
on this team and the consistency where they're just slowly squeezing opponents. Uh, and I'll be honest, as an Oklahoma fan, you know, you have a little bit of PTSD and you're consistently waiting for a deep ball to hit and somebody to get beat and somebody, you're waiting for something to happen and it's just not happening. And then you hear the players like Peyton and, and Reggie and all of them talk about it. It's like, no, nah. you know, as confident as ever, we knew everything they were going to do and we were on top of it. Uh, so, you know, you see that you do, you, you see the, like Kip Lewis, his development and his instincts and just how he plays the game just sticks out. Uh, you know, I think we're starting to see just the fundamental player development culture sticking out as well. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw a name out here for Peyton Bowen. And this is, this is, this is to use a Southern term, tall cotton here, but I'm trying to think of it. Cause he's not, he's not Roy. He's not like Roy. He doesn't play like Roy. Um, right. But what do you think about Eric Berry? That's really solid. That's I, I, that's it's extremely solid. Uh, you know, funny enough, I feel like I'd have to go back and I'm trying to remember how what his so many of his highlights were. He had some big hits, but some like really you know big plays as well. I think that's you know looking at his career. You know, he had 14 career interceptions in three years at Tennessee. You know, I think that's that's maybe the the best the comp I can think of because Eric was similar in that regard. Like he was not to your you know to your point, he wasn't like Roy. He wasn't six two two twenty five, you know, and thumping people. But what he was is you know five uh, eleven six foot. 205 pound safety you know when he finished that could run four three and make plays really all over the field you can play him down over receiver and manned up he can play into the underneath stuff he can play a single high look he, he can do he can do you know half field defender if you're in too high he, he can do really everything and i just continue to be impressed with peyton's kind of his confidence you know, when you see him after the games, he just, he talks about, oh, he was playing every position in fall camp. And he goes, and I kind of see now why they did that now. I felt stressed, but now I, I understand everything. I can help everybody. I don't, you know, one, one thing Brent is not, I do not think he's a liar. And, and, and when he says that football is just easy for Peyton, it really seems like, you know, mentally he's able to, he, he sees it. He just understands it and sees it really well. He's not, he does not look like he's swimming at all. No, it's it's and it's almost this. It's the instinct part. I just I'm, I remember watching a lot of Eric Berry at Tennessee because when he was there, I was still in the Atlanta area. You know, just SEC football. It's just Berry just made play. He just you know they needed a play. He made a play. It was just like it was sort of his instincts were sort of like you know he had like safety uh, extrasensory perception, right? Like he just knew what was about to happen and made the play that was needed to be made. Yeah, and that's a little bit of what little bit of what Peyton's flashing, you know, just through two games. It's only two games, guys, but, um, you know, it's five. We want our five stars to look like five stars. And so far, the three guys are, other than whatever that silly Arnold Doza thing was on fourth and one, um, <laughs> the three five stars are, are they look like it, right? They look as advertised, and, well, the, which the, just excites you about the thought of um, Stone, Tatum, Mitchell, mm. Yeah. Kearney, the guys we think that are like in that sort of territory. You know, the the thing that is like really, I guess, really exciting about Peyton is 
it really feels like it does not feel like it's a flash in the pan and it feels like it's only growing. You know, it feels like it's starting to reach like each game you see, uh, maybe he just gets more comfortable. Uh, he's trusting things more, just getting better and better. And I, it feels like it's just going to reach a point here, maybe in the coming weeks where and it might be this week with more playing time where you just see, Hey, boom, there's a pick six, right? Uh, there there's, you know, he's already got that big play where he and can I, you know, he, Stood the back, stood the receiver up, and can I rip the ball out? So, you know, punt. first two games, he's you know he's got that, he's got the punt block and a near pick six. Uh, he's he's already he's already looking like a really special player. Yeah, so I think it's it's, and again, I just I just like you know we haven't even seen Josiah Wagner, who was the talk of spring and and part of camp too. So hopefully he can see the field. It's just it just seems like the secondary in the hands of Jay Valai. And Coach Hall is in just so much better coaching and development shape than we've really seen in a really, really long time. I can't emphasize how long it, it seems that we haven't had reliable, uh, a pair of reliable DB coaches. Yeah, no, he's, uh, it's, there just seems, again, I kind of go back to what I said there. It, it seems like there's a really clear uh, development. Right. You see, Kenai Walker might be one of the better examples. You know, last year he came in and a lot of guys struggled last year. I think kids' heads were probably spinning and it was just everything was new. Right. And you're excited and, you know, excited till you get punched in the mouth and you realize, oh, wait, we're, we're still Oklahoma. We're still the only reason every school minus Texas sells any season tickets. And so, you know, we're going to get everything they've got. But, you know, watching him, He's, he's an example of, you know, someone where, you know, last year when he came in, he struggled. And this year when he's come in, when Gentry was down, I immediately was thinking like, okay, they're going to pick on him. And I, I think he got hit on one double move. And then after that, he just ratchets it down. You don't see, and we saw this for years, right, Chris, where these DBs would, would flash early and then they would start getting picked on and their confidence would go. And it seems that seems to be reversing, you know, a kid. May give up a play as a freshman, like can I, right? Comes back his second year and he's just getting better. And, you know, not only better as the years come along, right? You know, from last year to this year, but even you see him getting better in game. You saw him learn, okay, he caught me on that double move, not happening again on top of everything from then on. So there's, you know, some real, you know, you're, you're right, give a lot of props to probably a lot of just the mental and emotional coaching outside of the physical piece, right? That guy like Jay Valai and Brandon Hall are doing. And just one last point, we'll, we'll move on to the, our panic number. We've got some panic number programs to talk about, but I think the other thing is it's just, they've done a much better job. They, they Brent told us, I mean, one of the things you want to try and notice from year over year is are they, have they learned from mistakes? And it certainly seems like Brent realizes that they, they kind of got tight with their rotations last year, right? They kind of got a little panicky, playing kids too much, um, putting and not playing enough, not playing enough youngsters. And that certainly seems two games in that 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 message is loud. Brent's gotten that, you know, has absorbed that message. He's told us, and he's and he's putting it out in the field. I mean, we saw Kip Lewis and Kobe going in the fourth quarter, uh, and they they just hit people. Um, but it was nice to see, right, that you could give Stutz, um, you know, you could give Stutz a blow in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was, we didn't see that last year, right? He was just out there, exhausted, 
making bad plays because he was just, you know, he was still inexperienced, but he was also just dead tired. Oh, absolutely. I think Kyle on the site really dug into, you know, what we, we saw a year ago from, you know, just the fourth quarter. And then you look at the stat snap count that, that all the defenders had, they just, you know, they were couldn't, couldn't hold up. And yeah, I mean, I, Danny played one of his best games. And when Oklahoma inserted Kip Lewis, Kip went out and flashed and was just making plays to the point you're going like, gosh, you know, you got to play him more, you know, uh, it's yeah, no, there's, there's, there's a, you know, I, I, I might just venture to say that everything Brent's been talking about in terms of just, you know, consistent development is occurring. You know, I think we talked about this last week, you know, and I just compared, I think in my mind, and again, this is my opinion, the difference that I see between like a Brent and, and a Riley where Lincoln is not consistent, right. Uh, and is very much more, you know, image over substance and, and Brent's the inverse of that. And again, like the longer you take that timeline out, the more that compounds, you know, again, like I used last week, like it's like hitting a golf ball, right? Your club head is turned a couple millimeters. Well, you know, Hit you know the longer that ball, the longer that drive is, the more that's moving off target, and I think we're just seeing that with with Brant. The longer he's got things developed, and the more the players take ownership, like Danny and then the leaders, the more it just starts to ingrain, and they'll uh, start to separate. And then you know, and the real separation comes when you start adding in you know Danny Koye and and David Stone and you know PJ gets developed and Peyton becomes what he is and you start ta- you know Jackson Arnold and and those guys start you know you have more of them in and then real real separation starts well that's a well i think that's a great wrap up of what was a i i think the best defensive performance i've seen from OU against a, an opponent with a pulse and uh, i'll say 6 6 7 years maybe uh, since maybe the the Ohio State game in Columbus um, in 2017, where you played a really, I thought played a really good defensive game. So, all right. So not everybody's had a good week. And um, last week we did the the meltdown panic number for a number of programs. And while we we could repeat um, taking uh, our swings at Baylor, uh, we're, we're gonna we're not going to because that was a crushing. Uh, loss for the Baylor Bears and oh my gosh that the late interception that like that that oh that's the it, worst even even we even we have a level of not willing to pick on people who are already down at a, to a certain degree so Baylor we're giving you a a, a week off this uh, the meltdown panic number list just because of the the, the soul crushing snatching defeat from the jaws of victory that you pulled off we've been there. I'm an, I was an OU fan in the 90s in the Blake era, so um, I understand this concept all too well. So, Caleb, we're not going to talk about what's causing this because it's an unholy, volatile mess. But Michigan State seems like, just <laughs> from, from a panic level, they're, they're like off the – I don't even think Spinal Tap has a number for them at this point. but. What do you think? What if you could get? If you let's all just say something specific, and we're not just something specific, just an example here. But if if Bay Job was to was to go in the transfer portal, would would you? If you're OU, would you go after him? 
Gosh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I don't think he's played. I don't think he's played either. Either, uh, and and because that he hasn't, right? Like, you know, he's a he's a kid. He's a kid that grew up in Oklahoma. You probably would, right? And 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 I would just to use like again, you don't know like kind of where he's at. Uh, and I know they thought really highly of him when they brought him in, and there was a lot of excitement about him in the spring. But at the same time, you know, it was an undersized kid that hasn't played that long. So I'm sure they're probably trying to develop him, redshirt him. But I would say this, like 6'4", 240 pound edge rusher. If if he's twitchy and athletic and that's and he's long, like again, go back to like all the traits are there. And a kid from Oklahoma, you probably don't say no. I don't think any team's ever said, God, you know, we just have too many really good pass rushers. Uh, we don't need any more of those. You know, you, you know, like you can tell a guard like, hey, we're not going to take you. We're just going to kick that tackle down a guard. But you don't tell a good pass rusher. We're good. Yeah, the only thing I wonder is if you if you've got one spot for a defensive end, do you take someone who's a little more experienced? Oh, yeah. I mean, so it's if it's, if it's be, just if it's just one guy, um, do, you, do you take someone who's a little more experienced? But Michigan State has some interesting talent on their roster on the D-line. They've recruited well. Mel Tucker is a defensive line coach. He's got kind of that rep. He's had good defensive line assistance. And they also have a one of my man crushes, Justin the Slim Reaper Denson, is committed, <laughs> committed there. And it, apparently it came down to maybe OU and Michigan State. So if you don't get Boganowski, I, I wonder if you, make a, if you make a push for Denson and just try and, and go, don't. And before you make any other offers, kind of kick the tires there because it it, it it sounds like October, I think, 5th is his admin hearing. And it's just it's this is all appears to be window dressing and lawyer time. So, um, well, but you, yeah. mentioned, so you mentioned some defensive ends, Michigan, some D-line Michigan had. We had a little admin chat about this. But if if everything opens up there, this, as we saw with Keon Coleman, right, there, there's talent in Lansing. Oh, absolutely. You know, you go back to, uh, you know, I'm trying to think, was it Charles Bentley, the corner, the starting corner for Michigan State that hit the portal, Oklahoma offered immediately, and then he decided to stay at Michigan State. You know, I wonder if he somewhat regrets that. You know, there are, though. They've got, you know, two of the kids that just stuck out to me, right, were defensive end, Zion Young, uh, and then there's a defensive tackle, uh, Derek Harmon. Zero clue. Like absolutely nothing. This is just looking at it and being like, you know, Oklahoma's going to need some some interior defensive linemen, right? And you know they're they're also losing some losing a lot of interior defensive linemen. And Harmon's a six five, three hundred twenty pound uh, interior. Uh, he's a sophomore for Michigan State, so starting, you know, your sophomore starter in the Big Ten. Uh, a good program, you know, you're probably not a bad player. Again, haven't really watched the tape. And then defensive end Zion Young, you know, he's he's a kid from Georgia uh, that Mel Tucker was able to get in. You know, Ted Roof has ties. To, uh, he's a he's a Georgia legend. Uh, you know, and you've got you know, he's he's six six two sixty five was a really good high school basketball player. And again, a defensive end. So those are just two positions as Oklahoma's getting ready to go to the SEC that I think they probably will, even though they're signing really good classes. They're also they also I think understand like hey, you know we 
also don't want to roll into the SEC and, and say we're going to have to trot out Jaden Jackson and David Stone as our <laughs> as our two starters. We want them to have to earn that over some guys that have played you know big time Power Five football. All right, so we we can't quantify the the radioactive situation at Michigan State because it's it, it, I, we're not we're not going there, but we can quantify the panic number in Collie Station, and I'm not sure if you saw that. Um, Miami game, but their defense um, had a huge. They shouldn't have their their helmets should have the letter Q on them for quit because A and M's defense played like they played like a Grinch defense, like the seventeen eighteen Sooner defense, especially tackling wise. So uh, it looks like they got Wegman going a little bit. Um, they they but they two of those touchdowns. They did score were courtesy of uh, Miami of Florida special teams mistakes. So if you're a Texas A&M fan, and I'm sorry to put that label on you, what's your panic number? Oh, God, it's, got, it's a 10. I mean, I think it's an absolutely 10. And you saw this week really respected college football guys like Joel Klatt that came out and he did it's to find it online. It's really worth watching because he just dug in to some of the numbers and pointed out, you know, post the one season that, you know, Jimbo had where, you know, reality was it was, he did have a, uh, I think it was a red shirt freshman, Jameis Winston that he recruited, but a lot of the rest of that, that roster were guys that were recruited by Bobby Bowden. You know, they came in, under Bowden, Bowden, it was all set up, right? Bowden's going to hand the reins over to Jimbo, and, and it worked out, right? He was able to get him into that national title, and they won it. But, man, that looks like a flash in the pan right now. And, you know, Joel pointed out that, you know, they are the third most talented team in college football. By all the metrics that you pull together, they're the third most talented team. And uh, they're just getting – they look inept, getting worked. So, Chris, I mean – you're looking at their depth chart. Every single defensive lineman that is a starter or a backup was a top 100 player in the country. You know, if they were a four star, they were top 100, and the majority of them were five stars. Uh, or top 50. I mean, it's very close. It, yeah, the I mean, ones, yeah, the like ones that aren't like, five stars are like 50, 60. I mean, it's there. I mean, it's not like it. it it's. Their defensive performance was stunning. I'm like, what is going on here? I, I didn't even, you know, was busy and obviously the Oklahoma game was going. I didn't even know uh, that they had just fallen apart like that. I mean, if, if, as an Oklahoma fan, my first thing is like, you know, there's there's some uh, there is some chatter right that like, hey, maybe there was a reality of like this just is not going to work out. Like we sold it that hey, this guy had won a national title, so he'll do it again bring him in here and you know if they bite that bullet i mean if you're oklahoma the first guy you're trying to do is you're trying to call dj hicks and be like hey you wanted to come here to begin with right uh but i think this could be and i mentioned it a little bit i'd be interested to see what happens is if, if this is not somewhat of a watershed moment in college football and probably won't be because texas a&m as a university has got more money than davy crockett right they've got they're part of the university lands program you know where all of that you know all of that stack pay in, in, in West Texas, a huge chunk of it, not all of it, but a massive chunk they get royalties on. You know, that 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 organization, University of Lands, does over a billion dollars a year in revenue, 
That's not counting everything else they've got going, right? So they can afford to buy out in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but you got to wonder if if you're sitting there as a university and boosters and everybody's looking around, if they don't look at Texas AM and say, man, they spent rumors were $25 million on this recruiting class. They went and paid Jimbo $100 million. And they are the same program they were under, you know, they were better under R.C. Slocum. Like what in the world, right? Like they're just the same under Mike Sherman. They're the same under, you know, uh, Kevin Sumlin. Everybody, it's just the same. Yeah, you know, we can talk about why, but you you wonder if you'll get some people pull back and be like, okay, this massive spending and this NIL and trying to buy players clearly doesn't work. So let's, you know, maybe pull the brakes, uh, pump the brakes a little bit here. But I mean, as an OU fan, like, yeah, I mean, I hope it falls apart and I hope, you know, I hope Dindy and and, and DJ Hicks and, and Overton, I hope they all go like, you know, kind of wanted to be a Sooner anyway. You know, two of their dads were Sooners. Like, eh, let's go to Norman. Yeah. So the one name that's interesting right now, who is in play and right now, Emmett Jones, based upon a Twitter post, um, is at his high school game is Terry Bussey, who OU has, who OU just seems to be like, it seems to be like the just floating around, not the favorite, but just not going away in his recruiting. And if he's deciding the end of this month, uh, LSU was kind of rumored to be another team in there, and there's somebody else who's kind of struggling as well. Uh, it, you just wonder if, just maybe Emmett Jones, who again, I'm, I am not you, you at this point. I'm not telling you what Emmett Jones can't accomplish in recruiting, because uh, he seems to have already like found a 26 receiver in Legend Bay <laughs> from Mesquite, and and um, there's a top. Uh, top 25 player in the nation. Um, Car- uh, his last name's Cunningham from Mississippi, who's talking about coming visiting OU and how much he loves OU. And that's in the 25 class, which is already loaded. Uh, Elijah Thomas is just blowing up every game. Uh, a couple of our competitors are at his game tonight talking about how great he is playing tonight. Um, kickoff return for touchdown, long touchdown receptions. Nothing that shocks you at I based upon Elijah Thomas's film, but. So Emmett's got his sight set on Terry Bussey. And if, again, it just seems like maybe Caleb OU's trailing, but maybe some teams are leaving an opening for Emmett Jones that could lead to a recruiting upset on in late September. I, I don't even want to like suggest it because I'm not sure it will happen, but some teams are stumbling and they're leaving an opening. That's I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'd wonder. So he's the one that to me is interesting. I, and I'm, I'm with you and like, I don't want to get hopes up because everything we got from the DJ Hicks thing was he wants to be a sooner, you know, it was, everything was set, agreed to quote unquote locked in, you know, A&M has just an absolute unbelievably bad year. They were terrible last year and Oklahoma wasn't any good either. Uh, still better than A&M, right? And he, and he shows A&M, but this one does feel different. And, uh, you know, it just feels, and we talked about this, I think last week again, right. Where it's, we talked about, you know, when, when Brent and, and was with Dabo at Clemson, there would always be these kids that would go to their visit, an unofficial visit in, you know, May, June. And then suddenly they'd commit 
And it was like, what in the world? He didn't, he was not leaning to Clemson. He leaves there and he sounds like he's brainwashed, you know, and uh, like, what is going on? And, and these kids used to be locked in. And uh, obviously, you know, Terry hasn't committed to Oklahoma, but you hear the things he says, and it really aligns with that, where it's like, you know, Emmett, Brent, the environment, the, you know, uh, just what they're doing from the soul mission and just the culture you know, want to be a part of that, and, you know, and you, you kind of wonder, right. It, if, if that doesn't all just add up. And then when you factor in A&M just falling off and, and if they can't get it together, are they going to make Jimbo either clean house again, or do they just say they clean house? Yeah. Cause you know, we'll, we'll move on to our last, uh, our last uh, panic number here in a minute, but to your point, if they were to fire, you know, they have a bad season, things kind of implode. Uh, and you have some off the field stuff too, or just locker room stuff and it kind of implodes. And and Texas AM's decision making group, whoever that is, because their president just they have an interim president right now, because their other president did some um ran into some problems with their with their faculty. Um if A&M implodes, right, was to really implode and Jimbo's gone and then, I mean, we're talking like a, a candy store of, of talent for folks to possibly pull both from recruiting class, their current recruiting class, and from their, their, their talent on their roster, right? I mean, you know, let's say, and I'm, I don't know if this is going to happen, but let's just say Bryce Foster says, screw this, I should have gone to Oklahoma to begin with, ignored my Aggie parents. I'm, I'm I'm going to go play for Bill Beatenbauer for two years. Something like that, right? You know, or the, uh, the defensive line people, guys who are from Pennsylvania, Florida, Tennessee, just all over the place, you know, just hit the four winds and, and start going to different places. Uh, DJ Hicks decides, well, I'm going to go to Texas. Or I'm going to go to Oklahoma. I'll see whichever one is most interested in me. Something along those lines. It could be, you know, or I'm, or I'm going to go to Bama. I should have gone to Bama in the first place or Georgia in the first place. You know, if it, if it implodes like it could, if they have a bad season, I mean, the portal mayhem out of that, to your point, could be like, it, it, it could be, it could be like, could, it could be changing the way we look at college football and the portal. Like, you don't, you know, this is not good. If you don't, you don't try and buy all these guys, you know. K State's doing more, and, and their NIL budgets like you know, two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year or something. Um, yeah, it's enough for free raisin canes, chicken fingers. Yeah, exactly. Um, something like that. It just it could be interesting if it does truly implode. It could. I mean, it could make December portal season just an absolute freaking, you know, free fall meltdown of, I mean, of of circumstances we haven't seen. We, we have not seen. I mean, the only thing that would be equivalent would be if uh, uh, we'll get to get to this right now. So Nick Saban retired at Bama, or Dabo walked away at Clemson. I don't think either of those things are happening. But if either of those things sort of happened, that all of a sudden, you know, that that would be sort of the bigger, maybe the only thing that would be a bigger implosion. So, speaking of the tide, all right, they. I'm, I'm, I've been trying to process how much of that was Texas and how much of that was Alabama on Saturday night. I think it's about half and half. So if you're Bama, what's your panic number about? Ooh, gosh. I'm honestly, I think if you're Bama, your panic number is probably around eight. Uh, 
you know, and the only reason it's not 10. And the reason I say eight is like I'm factoring in what like level of expectation is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, right. it's, it, it, they're yeah. supposed to be undefeated. Like they don't lose at home and they certainly don't get their teeth kicked in by Texas at home. I mean, I think someone said this is the only this, I think the last time they lost by double digits at home was when Shula was the coach. Right. So, I mean, it's been <laughs> a long time. And, and again, how, a, a Texas team that I, th- I think Texas is really is, is talented in some spots. Right. But that's not a tech. I mean, Texas was ranked 93rd or 95th and, you know, in past defense last year, rice, they did not look great against rice. And I'm sure they spent their whole off season preparing for Alabama. And that was their Super Bowl, and they had everything locked in and it was, it was all there. Right. But, you know, at the same time, Alabama wasn't winning a lot of these just one-on-ones, you know, they weren't, uh, they weren't showing like you would expect, but so Again, I, I would say that high just because of expectation and, and where that lands. But the other reason, you know, I, I put it up there is it's just a reality that the consistent poaching of Nick Saban's football staff, I think, has caught up to him. And we probably should have seen this, right? Where this offseason, he went and he got, uh, I mean, God, he had to like go way into the way back machine and he went and got Kevin Steele as his defensive coordinator, right? And it was, and, and then it was what, how late was it that he went and hired Tommy Reese? Like it was really late in the cycle. And everybody knows like they were throwing everything they could at Jeff Levy to try to get Levy there. And he couldn't, it was it was pretty shocking, you know. And credit to Josh Pate, I saw him. He met, he listed out, you know, uh, that little last run where Alabama had where they won two out of three national titles. Who there's was on their staff, and God, Chris, and it was it was you know it was Dan it Lanning was, was like a GA, it was, right? It was like Dan Lanning's your GA or an analyst. Your defensive coordinators were Kirby Smart and uh, the gentleman you just spoke about at Michigan State that had an incident, right? Like those are your two, you know I mean, and, and, and same thing, offense. You've got Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin as your offensive coordinators. Like you were just all these guys that are now head coaches. And, and, and the other thing those guys did, right, they poached down that staff. They went and said, "Oh, you're an analyst. You're coming with me. Oh, you're you know you're a, you were the inside linebackers coach. Now you're going to be my defensive coordinator." So they poached up and down that staff. So in a short amount of time, he's just lost kind of everybody. I do think what will probably happen is this off season, he'll go out and probably all right. <laughs> he'll you'll see Kevin Steele gone. You'll see Tommy Reese gone. And you'll probably see him go out and get a murderer's row of of guys, but. You know, it's it was just pretty shocking to see, you know, Texas wide receivers like no problem, you know, running by or kind of muscling up and competing with the Alabama uh, DBs. That was something, you know, defensive at defensive back and linebacker and in the trenches, Alabama was always just really physical and you didn't see that. And, uh, you know, that's gone. And then when that compounded with they are not any good at quarterback. And, and maybe so you could say some of it's offensive coordinator. And I've heard some folks say that, you know, hey, Nick runs his defense and the offensive coordinator runs his offense. And they clearly did not learn from watching what Jalen Hurts has done with the Eagles and said, hey, we actually need to take – and, and, and shift our offense a little bit. And maybe they should have done that for Jalen Milrow was spent the whole offseason. Maybe that's what he should have done. He should have went and pulled the offense of the quarterback coach for the Eagles and said, I'm going to make you my offensive coordinator. Do what you did with Jalen, install that here. 
uh, with this Jalen and, and let's go. But, you know, they didn't. And you look at their schedule, like, and I, and that's another thing, right? Like, A&M's on it, so they'll beat A&M. But they're going to show up against Ole Miss. Ole Miss is probably going to be able to score on them. And he's going to have a better quarterback, maybe two or three better quarterbacks. You know, what's how's that game going to go? You know, LSU, uh, Auburn can score. We know Tennessee can score. You know, they're going to lose three games. Uh, it'll, you know, three SEC games. They haven't lost three, three SEC, SEC games. Yeah, forever. So the other stunning thing for me a little bit was, um, and I put that panic number, you know, right around where you are, especially if. I mean, they're switching QBs. Apparently, they're switching to the Notre Dame guy, Tyler. Is it Tyler Buckner? I think that's, that's right. So it's which is kind of like you, you couldn't have figured this out in August, uh, a little bit. So obviously, if Buckner doesn't play well, then you're, you're maybe you're stuck with you got a Ty Simpson. I mean, what what are you doing? They got a great they got a great high school kid coming in, um, and Julian saying, I think from California, who is the number two quarterback in the country after Riola. Uh, coming out of the Elite 11. So they're, they're, they've got a good basis, but you still have to coach these guys up and, and, and to your point, develop your offense around their skills. But the other thing that freaked me, that kind of surprised me was, um, you know, Caleb Downs is starting for them at safety and Caden Proctor is starting for them at left tackle. And I'm like, I understand they're five-star, super talented, you know, freshmen. I mean, you know, we, we're seeing that ourselves with our guys. But you're, you're Alabama. You've, you've had your average recruiting class the last five years is probably something like 1.5, 1.8, or something like that. You, you're, you're starting a true freshman left tackle. You don't have, an, you don't have anybody in who is stopping Caden Proctor from seeing the field, and he looked terrible. Teddy Lehman, who I don't think knew he was on their, on their, on their podcast, um, called the Alabama left tackle the slowest human being on earth. Uh, tough, you know, that's, and I don't think Teddy was being mean. He's just, and he doesn't know he's a freshman. You know, he's just, he's just, he's just calling what he saw, which was the Texas defensive ends abused Caden Proctor. And then Downs got, Downs got caught in coverage quite a bit with their wide receivers. And it's like, you're Alabama. What are these guys doing starting for you? So that the, so the thing that surprised me about that, what are they doing starting for you in the transfer era? Right, like so. There's, I mean, you, you see two shots. You've got your three five stars you've recruited the previous years are top one hundred guys, right? So you got three guys ahead of Proctor class wise, and then to your point, you could also have gone to the the portal and gotten the best offensive tackle in the portal if you wanted. Uh, yeah, I mean, or, or just a really good one, right? You could have said, yeah. you could have gone to Walter Rouse and been like, hey, we need you. We want you. We develop guys. But, you know, they just, you know, uh, they didn't. It's that, so that's, you know, and then again, I don't know if it's, if it's Nick slipping, but I think it's, I don't think it's him. Uh, although, you know, there's two things in this, in this, in this, on this planet that are undefeated and time is one of them, you know, so it's just, I, I mean, Bobby Bowden was once the one of the most amazing coach that, you know, every single January he closed like nobody had ever seen. And I mean, God, Florida State went on a run for what was it, Chris? Like from like eighty eight to two thousand, they finished in the top five every year. And yeah, the polls. It was it was, it was really mean, it Bob. Was, it was it was Bob and Ro- it was Bob 
in 2000 that, that hit the, 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 the force of decline. They never yeah, recovered. Really. Ended, I mean, if you see, there's a stat out there weird. somewhere and it's like, it's something like, uh, you know, teams that have finished in the top five consecutive years, like Oklahoma did it. It's like maybe Oklahoma and Alabama have done it. Or maybe it's top three. I take it. That's not top five. It's top three. Schools that have finished top three in the polls consecutive years. And I want to say it's like, you know, Oklahoma done, has done it maybe like four or five times. Uh, I'm sorry, four or five years, two or three different times, right? Like, little, like you know, 50s, 70s, and then maybe Bob did it. And then Alabama's done it a couple of times. And then, but they were all like five-year stints. And then here sets Florida at like 14 years where it was like, I mean, or Florida State rather, that just, so, and, and, and Bobby Bowden fell off, right? So, it happens to everybody again because time is undefeated. And so maybe it's happening a little bit to Nick. I, th- I think it's just a simple byproduct of he's had these amazing staffs that have been absolutely poached. And, uh, you know, there's just been small misses here and there that add up. And Alabama is just like Oklahoma, meaning, you know, <laughs> when you look at their schedule, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, uh, Arkansas, you know, Kentucky, these programs, they sell season tickets because you're coming to town. You know, they, you going to get everything they've got and the stadium's going to be packed, you know? So, uh, you yeah, caught an out, you caught a Texas team that spent over a year focused on that game. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. It'll also be interesting to see what Texas does post. Yeah. I mean, it's the one thing was, uh, uh one last plug for the, the Gabe and Teddy podcast, just cause, I think Teddy does a good job, you know, breaking down defenses and what he sees. He said that it was that Alabama seemed clueless about the tight end screen game. Like they they just couldn't they couldn't figure out how to cover uh, Jatavian Sanders, and uh, and he 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 was the best guy on the field that that night. He really was. He was he was the one he was the one true you know playmaker difference maker um, on that field. And when you can say. That that guy's on Texas and not on Alabama, considering Dallas Turner, it, he's still he's still a member of the Crimson Tide, right? Um, you know, to say that Jatavian Sanders, they just couldn't figure out how to cover him, and I'm like, I, I, I hope Brent doesn't have that problem. Um, but it's but it just sounded just it, they didn't look they just they did not look like Alabama at all. And then Milrose, you know, Milrow can throw the deep ball. And he could scramble, but short and intermediate passing, not so much. Yeah, and, no, it was. And once they fell behind two touchdowns, they were just one dimensional, and and they were they were dead in the water. And then they couldn't stop Texas running the ball either. It was like it was it was, it, it was they, shocking. It was shocking. It was a shocking result. The Josh little bit, Pate, Josh yeah. Pate, Joel Klatt, all of these guys have had really good stuff about it this week. If you look at stuff to listen to on college football, those guys are both doing a good job. But to your point, it was just. It, it was just kind of stunning. It, it was shocking to see. Uh, I don't want to say they looked unprepared, but what else do you say when, you know, like you said, it is top three recruiting classes for the last here forever. They get everybody they want. You know, like Jordan Renaud's a guy Oklahoma desperately wants is all in on. Hey, you can come here and play right away. Chooses Alabama third team, right? He'd be playing at Oklahoma. So, I mean, they just got dudes everywhere and they looked clueless i mean it was to the point that i would almost question did (laughs) did did texas have their game plan or was texas picking up on signals and that's possible because you know it was when 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 alabama zigged 
Texas zagged. Yeah, it was just they kind of did. It looked like they were doing almost whatever they wanted to them. It was it was uh you know, and I know that's not you know true because it was a tight game, but uh you know late I, I say more in terms of schematically, you know when they wanted to when and Texas when when Alabama wanted to dial up blitz, Texas been a screen. When they wanted to set back, you know, in zone, they were in the zone beater. When they were in man, you know, they layered it up and, and chewed them up. It was just like they just knew every tendency and and played on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, maybe Sark, had, maybe maybe they didn't change stuff up, you know, because Texas played them tight last year, and I thought they were to get they were to get handled in Austin because um, I thought you know the Bama squad with just with Young and and Anderson, you know, they just. They seem like you know they're gonna they're gonna bruise Texas up, but uh, maybe, maybe Sark just you know maybe it's like the old K State games where Bill Schneider just seemed to have hypnotic control over over Mike Stoops defensively and just knew knew what was going on was able to just put points up and and uh, and and Bill Schneider just knew you know knew Mike inside and out and just knew you know how to drive Mike knew knew what to do to you know, to, to neutralize what Mike liked to do maybe Sark's got. Maybe he's he's figured out the the secret sauce on what how Obama does stuff, and he's and he's a bad matchup for them. So I don't know, but it was it was, it was certainly odd, and and just you just don't expect them to. You just don't expect um, you just don't expect the best player on the field to be from Texas, not not from Alabama, right? Even last year, the best guy on the field was Bryce Young, not. Uh, not Bijan Robinson, who, who's now an Atlanta Falcon, so I have, I have less issues with him looking like a superstar right now. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just, it was it was just it's just funny. So, um, all right, guys. Well, this is an hour and a half. I think we've uh, given you guys as much recruiting information that's currently out there. Um, uh, you can follow me on X at cm underscore Sooners three sixty. Uh, we will do a podcast. We're doing a podcast every week. We're going to try and bring you guys some coverage on the Danny Okoye decision on Wednesday, if we can. That would be Wednesday night. Uh, I'm also doing uh, Twitter spaces, sorry, X spaces with Barry Wise at the Barry and Mac show on Tuesday mornings. So keep an eye out for those. Please be subscribing to Sooners360.com for all the information we have about recruiting, uh, program information. Uh, be on there so you can talk recruiting with Caleb and I in an intelligent uh uh, sort of, you know, sort of intelligent manner. Not a lot of, uh, not a lot of weird postings and and trolls and all that. Just good recruiting talk where you can ask questions and we just we're, we're there to answer it for you. So, thanks everyone for listening and subscribing. Um, please, if you have not subscribed to this podcast on iTunes or your platform of choice. Thanks everyone. Have a great weekend and go Sooners versus Tulsa.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.